0: I don't know what your week was like. I know for some of us, we just need to take a deep breath and say, okay, that's done. Uh, God's amazing grace hits us where we're at uh, in the chaos of our life, in the peace of our life, wherever we are at. Today, we're going to allow God's Word to kind of permeate this, this time, our gathering together. We're going to be looking at Mark 14, and we're going to interweave it throughout the entire service and so i hope that you would just kinda forget what lies behind and let's just focus on what god is is doing right here and how he wants to speak to each one of us through his word Um, i believe that our heart should be engaged in worship i believe our mind should be engaged in worship and so hopefully that that could be accomplished today Before we take our offering, I wanted to read just one of the portions of our passage today because I think it's fitting just before we take um, our offering. The title of the message is Significant Actions. And we're going to focus on two significant actions that takes place in this passage. There's many, but we're going to focus in on two. And the first one happens with Mary anointing Jesus. Take a look at this. You can read it on the screen. In Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3. And while he, talking about Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who, were, who said to, to themselves indignantly, why was the, anoint, the, the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, this takes place on Wednesday uh, of the week that Christ is going to be crucified. So it's one day before Passover, and it is uh, two days before Jesus is going to be crucified and they are meeting. It's in the month of April, and they are meeting in a home, and Jesus has his disciples around the table. He has Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Simon the leopard is hosting this, and this is a celebration. And Simon was probably somebody that Jesus had healed along the way, and and in this celebration, all of a sudden, something unusual happens. They smell something beautiful, and here... Mary takes his costly perfume and pours it over Jesus's head. And of course, Judas, uh, we're told in John, is the leader of the one leading the objection. He's the one who holds the, the, the he's the treasurer of the group. He holds the money bag. But we all, the disciples will also find out that he is the one who is the traitor as well. And we see him making this objection, and they, they come against, uh, against him, saying, This is such a waste. All this money could be used for the poor. And Jesus is the only one that stands up and says, No, 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 wait a second. What she's doing is honorable, what she's doing is beautiful. It's beautiful what she's done. She is preparing my body for burial because nobody else had it in their mind that Jesus was going to die. Even though he had told his disciples repeatedly, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I am going to die. She's the only one that really got it. And so what Jesus says is from now on, what she's done, it will always be remembered. Because it was a costly sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that was focused on me, and it was beneficial. I thought it it would be appropriate just for us to focus in on that before we took our offering. Because sometimes we get the misunderstanding of what giving is all about. My friends, giving isn't about me. It's not about the people around you. It's about God. And what God desires of each and every one of us that are followers of him, that love him, he desires that our giving would be costly. He desires that our focus would be on him and that it would be beneficial to his kingdom. I hope that's your perspective today as we are about to take our offering. May that be our heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to have your perspective. I pray that what you see in each and every one of us, you would say is beautiful. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would want to give in a costly manner, that we would want to give with you as the focal point, that it would be beneficial to your work, to your kingdom. Pray that that would happen. Lord, we are thankful that we have been able to support from the monies that are given here, we've been able to support Brandon and Hannah Bond. Their work in Pakistan, Lord. Not too many people want to go to, those pe- to the people there. It's dangerous. But Lord, out of their love for you, they have been compelled to go and give the message to the, to the people that are a nomadic tribe. I pray, Father, that you would give them great success. I pray, Father, that you would allow them to continue to build inroads that people would hear about Christ. Lord, we also pray that Mission View would have its influence in our community. We also pray for other ministries. Lord, we thank you that you have given other churches that are the bride, considered the, an expression of the bride of Christ. We thank you for Middle Branch Grace Brethren Church. I pray for my brother, Jeff Brown. I pray, Father, that your blessing would be upon him. I pray, Father, that you would use him in a mighty way In order to preach and proclaim the gospel I pray that their church would be a a living presence in the community and now Lord I pray that you would bless our offerings may we have your heart may it be significant in our actions that we would give to you in Christ's name well the second significant action that takes place that we're going to look at is the Passover supper that they will take during this time, uh, just before Christ's death. It would be called the Last Supper for Christ. Now, the significance in this action is pretty, pretty deep because it has a lot of history based on it. Now, what we're going to do today is I am going. To, I've done research this week, and I wanted to find out what was that supper like. What happened that day? That. What did they, these disciples experience? And I wanted us to be able to experience it as well. Now, what I discovered is that we could take weeks to be able to dive into what took place in that supper. I want you to know we won't do that. For those of you that don't like history, you'll be like, okay, that's great. You'll simply get an overview. But I do believe what we'll realize is that what Christ did was he fulfilled thousands of years of history. Christ did something that was very significant, and, and it, we should know that because Jesus said, hey, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill all those things in the Old Testament that were pointing to me. I've come to do that, and we will see that explicitly, and we will understand why this was the Last Supper why jesus had to have this supper with his disciples and i hope it will stick with us here's what i want us to understand number one god wants to fulfill the the prophecies he wants to fulfill scripture through christ but also god is a god of illustration god is a god who loves to draw pictures for us and there are all kinds of pictures in this supper that will help us remember remember now this summer supper commemorated something very significant in Israel's history. The time that God took them out of the slavery of Egypt. They had been in Egypt for 400 years under the slavery of Pharaoh. And God delivered them and he used Moses to do that. He used Moses to move people from slavery to freedom. To move them from despair to hope and from darkness to light. And it was so significant that God said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to have you commemorate this on a yearly basis so you never, ever forget what I did. The mighty acts of God. I want you to always remember. And to some degree, he wants every one of us that are followers of Christ to remember that as well. Because our communion supper that we take on a regular basis comes out of the Passover meal and in a sense the history of the Jews because we're followers of Christ becomes our history and we get to remember so if we're to remember then we should probably understand and so that's what we're going to do so it started off with a preparation look in our passage at verse 12 Mark 14 it'll be on the screen it says this AND HE WILL SHOW YOU A LARGE UPPER ROOM FURNISHED AND READY, THERE PREPARE FOR US. AND THE DISCIPLES SET OUT AND WENT TO THE CITY AND FOUND IT JUST AS HE HAD TOLD THEM, AND THEY PREPARED THE PASSOVER. HERE'S THE FIRST THING I WANT YOU TO KNOW BEFORE WE GET TO THE ACTUAL MEAL IS THAT PREPARATION HAD TO BE DONE, AND THE MAIN PREPARATION STARTED ON THE DAY OF UNLEAVENED BREAD. Now unleavened bread doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but it meant a lot to them. When they exited out of Egypt, they couldn't have the bread that they normally made with yeast. In fact, they had to be prepared so quickly they had to make unleavened bread. And God chose to make a picture out of that for the people of Israel to remember and for us to know today. He wanted them to make sure that when they were preparing that they went throughout the house and they would even teak feathers and make sure there wasn't a speck of leaven anywhere in the house. Any any bread that would have had yeast, any crumb that had fallen from a previous meal, it had to be wiped out of the house. There had to be a a careful search, and this was part of the preparation that they made. But here was the picture that God was giving. Yeast equals sin. Just as yeast gets into the dough of bread and it permeates every pore and it causes it to puff up, so does sin in our life. It permeates our life and it causes us to puff up. And the picture that God has given to the people of Israel and to us today is that He wants us to deal with sin. See, here's the reality. We have a God who knows our nature He knows that we are a people that love to conceal. We are a people that love secrets. We like to have this little thing going on that nobody else knows about. And we hold on to it. And we allow it in our life. And and in Genesis it says, sin is crouching at your door desiring to consume you. That is part of the nature of the battle of this life. And God says, As my people, I want you to deal with sin because here's the nature of sin. It will grow and it will grow and it will grow and it will crush you. It will crush your marriage. It will crush your life. It will crush your reputation. And this is what I want of you. I want us to be a holy people that are not holding on to secret sins. I want us to deal with sin today. And that was the message in this preparation that God wanted. In a little while, we're going to take communion. I want us to prepare our hearts. I think of Psalm 139 that says this, Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me. In the next two songs, would you search your heart? Would you prepare your heart for communion dear father I pray father that you would speak to our hearts this morning pray father that we would deal with sin in our hearts we don't want to grieve you lord we want to live in a way that is honoring to you and i pray father that you would do that in our life would you do something special here in mission view in our life as a body of christ as your expression of the bride I pray, Father, that we would come together with pure hearts, hearts eager to learn, hearts eager to worship, and hearts eager to to do what you want. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we come to the place of the supper, and we see in our text in Mark chapter 14, verse 17, let's take a look at what happened. It says, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, "'And as they were reclined at the table and eating, "'Jesus said, "'Truly I say to you, "'one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me.' "'They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, "'Is it I?' "'He said to them, "'It is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. "'For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, "'but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed.' It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took the bread and and after he blessed it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took up a cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink it again, drink again of the fruit of the of this vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Now from this passage we don't have a complete idea of what happened at the supper but if we take a look at the other passages in the Gospels as well as look at Jewish tradition we get a picture of what probably took place on this night because Jews did follow the traditions pretty rigidly And they would start out the evening when they had the supper of the lighting of the candles. Now, I only have one candle here, but there was a lighting of a candle, and there would have been a woman that would have started out, and she would have prayed something like this. Bless you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy and has commanded us to light the festival of lights. That was part of their tradition. Now, you say, "Oh, Steve, I don't see any women in the passage here. Well, please note that many times in the Scripture, women and children were not even mentioned, like at the feeding of 5,000 and the 4,000, but many times they were. In a Passover meal, it was a family event. It's very possible that the disciples' family were there that night. Now, it's possible that they weren't from the standpoint that there was a high risk of Jesus being taken captive and arrested So there's a possibility. So we don't know that for certain. But when they started with the festival of lights, just know that every aspect of this meal was fulfilled by Christ. And we know in the scripture, Jesus had said very clearly, he said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so right from the beginning, it is everything in this meal is meant to be a picture of the Messiah, the picture of Christ. And so Christ is there that day, how special it would have been for his disciples to see the one that they had acknowledged as the Messiah fulfilling the festival of lights. And then they would take the cup and the host would give an overview of the cup now each person would have one cup now I'm gonna guess their cups were a little bit smaller or they could have been toasted by the end of the deal and uh, meal because it was fermented wine but this is the best that I could do so just bear with me but they would fill the cup four times during the meal and they called it the four cups and every cup had a significance it had a meaning to it Everything in this meal had meaning. And the four cups were to parallel what God had done in Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7. The first cup was called the cup of sanctification. Now, sanctification is a big word. It just means to be set apart. And so this is the passage in Exodus that goes with it. I will bring you from underneath the the yoke of the Egyptians. So God would set them apart. This was the picture of what God was doing. He would set them apart. And when they drank the cup of sanctification, they remembered God separating them from the Egyptian. The second cup that they'll take during the meal is the cup of deliverance. The passage in Exodus continues, I will free you from being slaves to them. Not only will, will God separate them, but God said, I'm freeing you permanently you will no longer be in bondage so when they took the second cup they remembered the deliverance that god had given them the third cup was called the cup of redemption the passage in exodus continues i will redeem you with outstretched arms and with mighty acts of judgment And so Moses was the leader and he had outstretched arms and through his leadership and God's mighty acts there was redemption and that would ultimately come through the blood of the Lamb which we'll talk about in a little bit. So the third cup was a picture of redemption. And the final cup was called the cup of the kingdom. And this goes with the last portion of that passage. I will take you as my own people. God separates them. He says, You're set free. You will no longer be in bondage because I have redeemed you and you are now my own. I think you can see that every one of these cups Jesus fulfills. What Jesus wants to do in each and every one of our lives is he wants to set us free. He wants to redeem our life. He wants us to be his own. Every step here, this is what God has done through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He has done this, and the disciples are going to see Jesus fulfill this. And this is why he uses this as the communion table for them to commemorate what they were to do. Now, they would fill this cup, and at this time, someone would offer this prayer. They would say, Bless you, O Lord, our King, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And then they would drink the first cup. Now, right after they drank the cup, it was a time that they would wash their hands because God, again, is a God of symbols. And He wanted them to wash their hands, and their hands were just an outward sign of what the heart was to be. God wants a clean heart, and so He would do that. Now, what we know from John 13 is that Jesus and his disciples are around the table, and he notices, now the table would have been low to the ground, and they would have been leaning on the ground on pillows, but I needed something a little bit higher here. But he noticed that the disciples' feet had not been cleansed. They had not been washed. It was customary for the lowest person in the house, the slave, as soon as you entered into the door to get your feet wiped clean because you had sandals and there was dirt roads and there was animals out on the dirt roads. And I think you can make the connection why they had to clean their feet. And so they would clean the feet. Well, at this point, Jesus, John 13 says that Jesus wants to show the fullest extent of his love. So he takes the picture of water and he fills the bowl. And he takes the bowl to each of them, and he does a cleansing with each of them. And if you want to read the account, you can see the initial reaction of the disciples wasn't exactly good. Peter's like, oh, no, 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 no. And Jesus is like, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. Okay, okay, my body too. <laughs> no, no, Peter, no, just your feet, okay? And so this was the portion of the meal where he made sure that they had clean hands and clean feet. Now, why did they have to have clean hands? Because the next portion of the meal, they were going to start handling food, and they were going to dip the food into, into sauces, and they had to have clean hands, and that's why. And so the next portion of the meal was called the parsley. There was the reminder of rebirth. Now, at this time, there would have only been three items on the, on the table. There would have been the wine, there would have been salt water and there would have been parsley. Now at this time what they would do is the leader of the house would take some of the parsley. I am not going to eat this right now, but I want. they would just dip it into the salt water, and they would eat, and then they would pass it around. Now again, God is a God of symbols. What he wanted them to realize was that there was something valuable to every one of these things. The parsley represented the hyssop, The hyssop is what was dipped into the blood and what they used to paint over the doorpost of the house. And the salt water was the reminder of the tears that they had when they were in bondage. And so as each of these disciples are taking this, they're reminded of the bondage they had of the past, but they're also looking at the one who said he would set them free. He was the very one. Jesus was the one who says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus Christ would be the fulfillment of all the tears. And we know from the scriptures that there's a day that he will wipe away every one of our tears and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. But this is only because Jesus was the fulfillment of this. And then we come to the portion called the breaking of the middle matzah. Now, these are all strange terms to us. But matzah bread was simply a bread that was unleavened that they would eat with their, with their meal. We know why it was unleavened. But they would bring out a container. And this container had three compartments into it. And there were three layers of the matzahs in this. And they would take out the middle matzah. Now, the reason that they would use this matzah bread is because it was unleavened, but it was also striped and pierced. Now, they had always throughout their history had bread that was striped and was pierced. Now, if you would ask a Jew why it had to be striped and why it was pierced, they would just say it's always been that way. Now all they would have to do is really look at Isaiah 53 and they would see that again, even the bread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, has a picture of what the Messiah would be. This is what Isaiah 53 says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, his stripes, we are healed. And so this is a picture of Christ, even in the bread. We see Jesus being the fulfillment. And so there was three layers of the matzah. Now, the three layers for the Jews, it meant it represented the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, they would take out the middle matzah at this point, And this is what they were going to eat. Now, you think about that. There was significance to them picking Isaac. Isaac was the one that Abraham took up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice. You remember that? And he was to be up and he was going to sacrifice his son. But God said, no, you don't have to sacrifice him. I will provide the lamb. And there in the thicket was a ram, and they sacrificed that. But God used that as a picture way back then to be a picture of a future Messiah would come, who, by the way, would sacrifice his life on the very mountain that they were on. Mount Moriah was Mount Calvary, where Jesus Christ would die. What an incredible picture. And so this middle matzah at this time was broken in half, and they would take half of it, and they, would, they were going to eat some of it. But then they would take, and they would put this in the thing they called the aphicoman, and so it was like a white shroud. And it became kind of a, a game for them because they would take and someone would go and hide this and it would reappear by the end of the meal. The children would look all over the house and they would find, where is the Afakim in? Where is the Afakim in? And then they would bring it. And you can see that this again is a picture That Jesus would go into the grave. He would be away for three days and then he would come back and it's a resurrected Lord and Savior. And by the way, it's this piece of the matzah that Jesus is going to use for communion. What a picture. What a picture. It's a picture of the resurrected Lord. We'll talk about that in a moment. But at this point, they would start to, before they ate any food, they would recount the story of Exodus. They needed to be reminded of everything that took place. And the children would ask questions. And then they would go, and after they asked questions, they would take the remainder of the middle matzah, and they would start to break it. And when they broke it, they would first dip it into the bitter herbs, kind of like a horseradish sauce, Something that would make them remember the bitterness of slavery, and then, after everybody had the bitter herbs, then they would take and dip it in the carouset. Carouset was a sweet uh, sweet uh, meal or a dessert like it was a- as ap- apples and walnuts and honey and wine. Now, what I've done is my wife and I have made a whole bowl of this carousel that's out on the... uh, You can enjoy it today. It's made with grape juice today. Um, But you can enjoy it with some matzo bread that will be out on the table so that you can taste it. Interestingly, most likely it was at this point when Jesus announced to his disciples, somebody's going to betray me. Somebody's going to... Is it me? Is it I? Is, is, is tell me it's not me lord tell me it's not me and it's the one who dips his bread in with me and we know that jesus uh, we know that judas dipped his bread at that time now think about that judas gave the bitterness of betrayal but jesus would have the sweetness of victory and see, that's what the, the contrast is here. God wanted them to have a picture that there's though there, there's bitterness in life, there's a sweetness of victory that comes only through God. And so that's what he wanted them to understand through this illustration. The next thing that would happen after everybody took the, the, the bitter herbs in the carousel, in the they would then pour the second cup into for the to celebrate the cup of deliverance now before they actually drank the cup of deliverance they would remember why they were delivered and what they were delivered from And so they would go and they would recount all the plagues to start off with. And they would name all the plagues. And whenever they would name a plague, all the Jews would sit around and say that plague three times. They would say blood, 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 frog, 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 lice, 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 all the way down to the death of the firstborn, death of the firstborn, death of the firstborn. And they would stick their finger in the wine and they would wipe it on a napkin as a way of entering in and remembering that plague. And so right after they talked about all those plagues, then they went and reflected on the Passover lamb. And they would reflect on why that lamb had to die The fact was that the angel of death was going to come and from that they would be delivered the very next day. And so that God had given them the instruction that they were to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and they were to shed the blood of that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost of the house and they were to roast the meat. Now notice two things that happened here. The first thing was the blood was shed. What was God trying to do? He was trying to paint a picture for the people of Israel that it is only through the blood that you are saved. It is only through blood that you are saved and he has given that picture. The second picture is that it is only through the body of the lamb that you will have strength. Because they needed strength to leave the very next day. That's why they had to eat all of the roasted meat. And they had to do that because they needed the strength. Friends, think about the parallel here. Christ is the fulfillment of this. Christ is saying only through the blood. When he says, do this in remembrance of me. When you take the body, when you drink the cup. He is saying, I am the fulfillment of all of this. It's through his blood painted over our life that we can enter into true and eternal life, that we can have complete forgiveness of sins. The question I would have is, do you have that? Have you entered into that kind of relationship with a living God where your sins are cleansed, where you are forgiven, that you are a Christ follower? Think of the significance of the lamb being roasted, It was the picture that through the lamb you would have strength. And when we take the body, when we take the bread, it's a picture that he is the one that gives us strength. It's interesting in John 1.1, you remember what the verse says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, and he uses his Word to help us have strength to leave the bondage of Egypt, of this world, And so, my friends, what God wants us to realize is that we can have deliverance from this world. We can have strength, but it comes through His living and active Word, and He wants us to have that and for us to understand that. After they did all that explanation, they would then drink the second cup, and that portion of the meal was completed. Well, at that time, they would sing a song. They would sing a song, and then they would... uh, uh, then eat the meal, and the roasted lamb was brought out, and everybody feasted, and they had a great time. And then came the portion at the very end of the meal, where the Afikomen uh, they uh, had to return. And so when it returned, and this is we're going to be ready, getting ready to take communion now, uh, and this is what happened: they would bring this back, and Jesus would have taken it out of the shroud. And he would have taken this piece here, and he would have broken this. And he said, this is at the portion in our passage where he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now think of the significance of that. This is my body. No longer is this the bread of aff- merely the bread of affliction. Yes, it's a reminder of that. Of When you came out of Egypt. But now it has a new and fulfilled meaning. And the fulfilled meaning is that this is my body. It is through the body of Christ that we receive the forgiveness of sins. It is through him that we receive the strength that we need to leave this bondage of, the, of sin that this world has. And so, my friends, as we take communion now, as, as this would have been the portion of the time that they would have eaten the bread, I want us likewise to do the same thing. But remember, remember what this is all about. Let's take the bread. Lord, we want to thank you for what a picture you've given us. We thank you that your body was broken for us And Lord, we want to be obedient and remember what you've done. That it's through you that we have deliverance from sin. We thank you that we have on a daily basis the guidance of your word. And your word is you in written form. It's allowing us to take that and and consume it daily. So that we can understand what it means to be holy. So that we can have your mind. That we can change our old patterns and that you would develop a new person in us. And so, Lord, we're thankful that this body that was broken for us allows us to be able to do that. So, Lord, as we take this bread, we remember, and we thank you. Eat all of it. They would have uh, ended the meal with a prayer. Uh, we often pray before the meal. They prayed after the meal. They didn't necessarily have to bless the food per se because it was kosher. It was all been blessed. But it, they thank God. They thank God for what had gone, that God had done for them. So today, if you're at Pita Pit, okay, pray for the meal afterwards. Try that once, okay? It's okay that you can do that, it's a tradition that I think we've made up. But the important thing is that God is praised. And then at the, kind of like the post-meal, they would pour the third cup. And the third cup was a cup of redemption. And it was at this point that Jesus poured the cup, and he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He's making a very significant statement here. He is saying that okay that passover lamb was a picture and that passover lamb had to be there had to be more than one lamb and throughout time in the old testament lamb after lamb after lamb but Jesus is saying it's once for all it's a done deal no more I am the lamb and my blood has is being poured out for you and of course the next day that's exactly what would happen and so he says I want you to take this and I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Listen to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. 25. It says, in the same, wheel, same way, after supper, he took the cup. Now you understand why he said after supper. And now you understand that this is the cup that they always had after supper. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it and remember in remembrance of me. As the cup is passed, remember that with outstretched arms, with mighty acts, Jesus Christ ultimately fulfilled our redemption. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you told us that this drink, this juice, this wine is a representation of the blood of the covenant. Lord, we know that a covenant is a covering. It is a a picture of protection. It is something that we are under and so lord we thank you that we are under your blood and because we've given our life to you for those that have surrendered their life completely to you have repented of their sin they are now clean and forgiven you have done a work in their life and it's all because of the blood of christ and so now lord you tell us to take this in remembrance of you and so we want to do it with grateful hearts Take and drink. At the very end of the, after drinking the third cup, believe it or not, they would drink a fourth cup. That's why I think they were small goblets. And they would drink the fourth cup. Now the fourth cup was called the cup of the kingdom or the cup of praise and blessing. And it was meant to show that there would be an ownership in a time where God's people would all be together with them in the kingdom. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't take that cup. He very poignantly says this in our passage. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He says that right after the third cup. So he waives the right for the fourth cup. Why? Because there's going to be a day he's telling his disciples that I'm going to come back. And when I come back, we will drink it then. Now we know from scripture and prophecy that Revelation 19 is the depiction of him coming back. And there will be at that time the wedding of the Lamb. And there will be a great celebration. There will be a great feast. There will be the drinking of this cup when we truly will be in the kingdom together. And so Jesus is saying that is one thing that is yet to come. So hold on to that. And though, though they didn't drink that cup, they then left the city. They went through out, the outside the walls of Jerusalem and they went through the valley and in up to the Mount of Olives. And when they were there, they could see the skyline of the city and that's where they sang praise to God. They gave a hymn of praise at that time. Now I want to talk about that hymn of praise in a minute. I'll come back to it. There's a lot of other significant things that happened in Mark 14 that we don't have time to cover. Read it this week. Read about Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read about his arrest. Read about his betrayal and the... The, the, the trial that went on, and read about how Peter denied him three times. Read that. But when I look at this today, in the portion that we've looked at, I think, how should these significant actions affect us, affect us as a church? I want to go back to Mary and her anointing of Christ. I think a good application for us is this, that we realize that God is honored God is honored when we sacrifice for him. And I want to challenge the body in this way, like Mary, that we would do what we can. I just I found it interesting. It says she did what she could. She probably thought, oh, I'm nothing. I really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. And she probably had some of the same things uh, thoughts as, as we have. And yet Jesus says she did what she could. And what she could do was something that Jesus said would be remembered. What are you going to be remembered for? What are you doing that you can do that would make a difference? Maybe it's a commitment to love others better. Maybe it's a commitment to reach out to your neighbors and have them over for dinner. Maybe it's a commitment to make a costly sacrifice. Maybe it's to help the poor. Maybe it's to encourage somebody. Maybe it's to serve. We have lots of areas to serve here on Sunday morning. What is it that you're going to do? I think it's good for us to each ask this question. What is the sacrifice that I'm making for God? Let's make our worship complete and think that through. Here's the second thing I want us to think about. Why is it that the disciples, after this incredible meal, why is it that they went and worshiped because I believe that God is honored when our life is a life of worship I believe that when you have sat in a meal like this and you've experienced this and you remember that you have been sanctified, you have been set apart, that you have been delivered from the bondage of sin, that you have been redeemed with outstretched arms and that you belong to Him. When we remember that our response should be one of worshiping God with all of our hearts. And sometimes in the church I think we get that all confused and we forget that worship isn't about us sometimes we get caught up did I like the song did I not like the song I want you to know it's not about us it never has been it's about him And there are times that we will come and we will engage our hearts because there's a song that we identify with and we say, yes, I identify. And there's going to be times that we will teach new principles, biblical principles through new songs, and we will engage our minds. Sometimes there will be a little celebration of a song and we can actually move a little bit and rejoice in God. And that's okay as well. Sometimes we're afraid. But God wants us to worship with all of our hearts. Here's the point. God is honored when men and women who have experienced this come together and worship. Now, we want to do it privately, but it's really important that we keep this as a priority. Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling together as some are the habit of doing. And so what we do is we have a lifestyle of worship. And so our question is this. How are you developing a lifestyle of worship? Just as the disciples closed with a hymn, I'd like to close with a hymn that I believe is something that young and old will identify with. It is well. Let's sing with our hearts.